welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your the Chicago Cubs won two out of three against three of the best pitchers in baseball home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs, why these MLB streaming deals are absolutely ridiculous, and more at Bleed Cubby Blue. And I am joined today by Danny Rocket, who I know enjoyed that opening series as much as I did. How's it going, Danny? Oh, it's going. <laughs> I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the entire weekend. And I must admit, I am just totally toasted right now and exhausted. Played a couple of rock band shows with the Bleacher Bum Band. Saw a lot of baseball um, and uh, in a couple of different states. I went out to South Bend and partied there. And it's it's been a weekend. I need a nap. <laughs> Yeah, Danny's got a minor league report for us straight from South Bend. We've got a ton to jump into today. It's going to be fun, so let's jump right into it. As you know, during the season, we go series by series looking at what happened and what's going to happen. And so let's just start with this opening series against the Brewers. Look, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I thought the weather was bad and at least one of the games would get canceled. That did happen. The Cubs only played three of that four-game set. One of those games will get made up, I don't know, one of the many times Milwaukee comes back to Wrigley Field at some point this season. But I did not think that they were going to face down Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and win. And win in ways that, like, I I don't want to get ahead of myself. Three games is a really small sample size out of a 162-game season. You know, I'm longtime listeners of this podcast will remember I'm a distance runner. I like running, like, half marathons and full marathons and those types of things. And you really have to pace yourself. You cannot get too excited about that first mile when you're in the middle of something that's going to end four hours later. I thought this team looked really great. I thought they had an awesome approach. Uh, let's just jump right, right into that first game. The Cubs won it 5-4, to four, and that first inning against Corbin Burns, I mean, man, they looked like a team who could really, you know, make contact, get on base, score some runs. I think they scored a run without getting a hit. Like, it was wild. Yeah. Maybe well, that was the second game. Yeah, well, I mean, it was – you have a couple things going on. Maybe opening day jitters for Burns. Uh, they kind of had him on the ropes early. They got to him. Uh, it, I wasn't too surprised. It, it's they worked the counts. Their, their approach against him was great. You know, they they took their walks first of all, so he didn't really have the normal control that he had. And um, yeah, they're getting on base. Uh, it, it's funny. I I talked to uh, Tom Ricketts actually on Friday. Our friend uh, Levante was getting an award uh, and uh, Tom Ricketts gave it to him. So we're all the game was rained out, but I was actually in Wrigley Field as uh, as uh, Tom was giving Levante this award. And I had about a couple minutes to talk to Tom. It just all standing around as they're filming this thing. And I said, I said, you know, I had a lot of fun yesterday, Tom. You know, that was a kind of a fun game. It's a fun squad to watch. And he goes, you know what? They play real baseball. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, Tom? You're right. They do. It's like they're going to run. They're going to put the ball in play. They're going to move each other over. They're going to get the sack flies. They're going to work counts. And that's more interesting than the three true outcome baseball that we've been seeing when they strike out and walk slowly to the dugout. They walk. They walk slowly down to first base or they hit a home run and they, they don't run very fast around the bases and it's not as exciting to watch. So I agree with you, Sarah, that was just like kind of a different kind of Cubs team than we've grown accustomed to in the last, um, well, bunch of years, I'd say almost decade at this point. 
Yeah, totally. I think real baseball is sort of what we're seeing. This is not shade to the people who won lots of games for the Cubs before, but it is exciting to know that Nick Madrigal is going to come up and he's going to, you know, punch a ball through or he's going to hit a sack fly. I mean, a lot of these runs were manufactured runs, right? It was like, move a guy over, get him to third, hit a sack fly. There were some awesome things going on there that were super fun. And Corbin Burns, the NL Cy, the reigning NL Cy Young winner, I might add, might have had some opening day jitters. But do you know who didn't have any opening day jitters at all? Our old pal Kyle Hendricks, yeah. who really looked like vintage Kyle Hendricks. What did you see from Kyle in, on opening day? Uh, I mean, I saw a pro go out there and beat the Brewers like he used to. And the Brewers beat him up badly last year. Uh, and and I kind of thought that the bloom would be off the rose for uh, our our good friend Kyle, but no, he went out there and shut him down, and and he, he had a lot of strikeouts. I mean, he didn't pitch as long into the game as you would have hoped because of the short spring training, but he he managed what seven Ks, I think, in five point one yeah, innings. Exactly, I got and, it up right now. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean that's pretty impressive, and that's the other reason why I ended up coming out of the game a little early because when you're striking that many guys out, your pitch count gets higher, and I don't think they wanted him to go. He's not quite stretched out. None of the starters are. So you're going to have to rely on your bullpen a little bit more than you'd like. You probably could have gone another inning had it been later in the season. He was stretched out. But yeah, I mean, my fears were temporarily assuaged about Kyle Hendricks. And um, I guess he was just working on something when he gave up Homer after Homer (laughs) in spring training. You know what's funny about that? If you showed me the stat lines from Corbin Burns and Kyle Hendricks with no names on them, and you said, this is the opening day start between the Cubs and the Brewers in 2022, which pitcher is which? I I think I definitely would have reversed them. (laughs) I would have thought, oh, well, Corbin Burns clearly struck out more guys and gave up fewer runs, and so I would have reversed them. And it was nice to see Kyle have a great start like that. If he can pitch like that consistently this season, I think that The Cubs are really going to win quite a few baseball games. Um, Let's talk about who hit the first home run for the Cubs in 2022. Because if you had Nico Horner on your bingo card, and I found out this morning that our editor over at Bleed Cubby Blue, they were playing like kind of a game of draft the first guy who's going to hit a home run, and Al got the last pick. And so Al was left with Nico Horner, and then he won. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just some dumb luck right there. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Nico comes into spring training, quote unquote, best shape of his life, you know, looking like all he did was do, you know, 500 pushups a day. And, um, you know, maybe he's maybe he's got more power than we expect. I mean, he's we haven't he's been injured both years that we've had him and he came up before he was even supposed to. And then there was a pandemic and then there was a shortened year. And then, uh, you know, so Nico's had a weird trip of it. So I don't know that we know what we have out of Nico yet. And the pot, the pop was always supposed to be a little bit there, whether he's going to hit 40 home runs this year or how, how many is he's probably on pace to hit 40 right now. Well, right? <laughs> on pace does not matter until we get to at least mid-May. On pace uh, to hit 53 to- home runs. Yeah, I refuse to do any irrelevant math on the show. <laughs> I, I might talk about some numbers that we shouldn't get too excited about because those are the numbers we have right now. And that'll be fun. But like, we're not going to I'm not going to do math for this. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the approach, though, that you're talking about, the overall approach that the Cubs have had with working the counts, which is when you do that, 
you're you're setting up everybody behind you. They're seeing what the pitcher has. We we saw that with Dexter Fowler it, when we had Dexter on the team. He would sit there and start the game with a, a ten pitch at bat, and that is so. It, that I mean, that's so helpful to not only work in the pitch count and make the guy tired, throw a bunch of pitches in an inning. Uh, so then the guys behind you, they've got a fatigued dude up there that just threw 12 pitches just to get like a foul out or something, you know, uh, and and uh, then you set up the big boppers behind you. So uh, I just like the overall approach of a lot of these guys and they scored runs in fun, move them, move them in, get them, get them on, move them over, move them in ways, sack flies, and plus, plus the home run, plus uh, just singling them in a, the good old fashioned real baseball way, you know? So yeah, I, I liked what I saw out of um, how this offense looked, especially, especially in comparison to the broken offense that we saw for since 2018. Totally. Uh, they never fixed. Let's talk about a guy who showed up exactly as advertised. And honestly, I I don't think Seiya Suzuki could have done any more this weekend in his first few games for Cubs Faithful at Wrigley Field. His, his approach at the plate is so great. Corbin Burns threw him some absolutely filthy, nasty pitches that were right on the edge of the zone that I have seen some very good sluggers in baseball with that over the last couple of years and say a spit on those pitches, took them for balls and turned that into productive at bats more often than not. What are you thinking about say Suzuki, Danny, are you as excited as I am? Cause I am like this close to going to buy a Suzuki Jersey. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm super excited about say Suzuki and uh, he seems to be having a lot of fun out there too. I, I was going through some of my photographs of the weekend and I've got a, those of you who follow me on Twitter at, at Sunranto, you know that I post a lot of pictures and I've got a pretty decent zoom lens on my camera and he's always, he's joking around with Hayward out there too. And that in the outfield, everybody's smiling, having a good time. And then, you know, he takes four walks. He leads the team in walks. Like, actually, Ortega's got four walks too, um, up at the top of the lineup, which is good to see as well. But he's got four walks to go with the homer and six ribbies, three hits. Um, so that's all good. He scored two runs. I mean, and this is all in uh, with eight at bats. I mean, yeah, if this can continue, this would be wonderful. I mean, he's getting on base in, in multiple different ways and he hits a home run. Yeah, this is the guy that, yeah, this is awesome. I'm so happy we have Seiya Suzuki. I can't, no, I'm, I'm, you can probably hear me smiling. I'm smiling at every freaking, um, uh, you know, portion of my being right now that we have Seiya Suzuki. Danny's so um, excited about Seiya Suzuki that he can't finish a sentence. And so while he's trying to get his next sentence together, I'm just going to throw some, some small sample size numbers at you. Obviously these will go down, but the man has 13 plate appearances. He's already hit a home run. He has six runs batted in he is currently slashing 375 538 750 with a wrc plus of 253 and as danny already noted those four walks are as important as anything else say suzuki looks like an absolute beast and i i'm going to look at this later uh, in the week here's a little preview for what's coming up on bleed cubby blue but i'm going to take a deep dive into say suzuki's early game plate appearances what pitchers are throwing at him what isn't working none of it's working like nothing you are trying to do to say suzuki is mystifying him at all at the moment and 
you know, Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta are three of the best pitchers the National League has to offer. The Brewers, as we know, have just been developing and delivering from the mound for a while now. And so if they can't come up with a good game plan for, say, a Suzuki, I mean, it's going to be kind of fun to watch and see who does. Yeah, and that's part of it, too. I don't know that they do have much of a game plan. I guess you could watch tape from Japan, and there's plenty of it. Uh, but uh, I don't know that they had time, <laughs> you know, but they've not faced him, but he hasn't faced them either. So right. he's not sure what they're going to do to him, but yeah, they don't have a book on him yet. And it, whatever book that they put together on him did not work. So it was good to see. And um, it, he did strike out four four times too. I might add too. It, it, one time I think that he kind of got a raw deal on it, but I don't know. I didn't look at the, the pitch count he took he he struck out looking one time and I was like there's no way he would do that he must have been screwed yeah totally um one of the things you know if he strikes out four times and he walks four times I I think I'm okay with that I'm like (laughs) that seems like a good trade (laughs) yeah this the small sample size of it is uh is yeah it's kind of ridiculous but um no I I just I love it and the defense is right there there was a couple balls that I thought one ball in particular that dropped in front of him that I thought he kind of misplayed that he probably could have caught that he didn't. Um, and then there was a slicer in the first game that I don't know. He doesn't know the outfield that well, well, but I feel like Jay Hay gets to those in a different way. So there might be a bit of a learning curve to Wrigley field. You know how the wall is right next to the foul territory there. I mean, we obviously don't want him going crashing into a wall, Please just trying die. to get it out, you know? Right. So, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, I think there's a learning curve to it as uh, right now, but, but yeah, that outfield that we talked about being like super crowded, like everybody got to play out there this weekend. We saw everybody. And what was weird is that Michael Hermosillo ended up being the defensive replacement for Jason Hayward. Not really DV was really an offensive replacement just to get a, a the different uh, righty bat in there. But I just thought that was funny. I'm like, this is working the opposite way. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about game two a little bit. This was a beatdown, like an absolute beatdown in a game where Brandon Woodruff was starting. And look, I'm going to put my cards on the table. If you listen to Fantasy Baseball Podcast, you probably heard me talk about the pitchers that I like, who I think maybe were a little, I mean, Woodruff isn't really underrated. Most people think he's a top 10 pitcher, but I think he's underrated in the sense that I could, I think he could be better than Corbin Burns. And I have said that on a couple of different shows and he did not look like he could be better than Corbin Burns against this particular Cubs team on Saturday. Danny, why were the Cubs so successful against Brandon Woodruff? Well, I think it's just what we just talked about. It's that approach. He, they did it all without, um, without the benefit of a home run. They just took what they were given and they did something with it. And the balls were dropping in and they took their walks and they worked their. It's the same thing we just talked about. It's that it's, it's just that station to station, real quote unquote, real baseball, which I know is driving people nuts listening to this. Play right now. Real baseball. You know, but I, I think, you know what I mean? It's, I know you, mean. you know, but it's, it's like, it's what we haven't seen in the, in the past. And I don't know if we zagged too much from zigging to not have as much power in the lineup. It, it definitely in the summertime, it's nice when the, when the wind's blowing out that you could have a couple people that could put it over the bleachers. But, um, and we do, we do have that. Um, but, Apparently it's Nico, Nico Horner actually, but uh, yeah, it's, 
you're just you're just doing what you you can with Woodruff. I don't know if we you know we see him a lot. Saw him a lot last year. He beat us up. So when some some guy beats you up last year, who you who are you going to focus on trying to beat up this year? This is the beginning of the year. You had time to to look at what Woodruff's going to try to do to you, and they did their homework and they went out there and they 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 kicked his butt. So like, you know, it was, it was just great to see. And I, I was at the South Bend Cubs game, but they were playing this game at the bar in right field at the South Bend Cubs game. So we were kind of out there watching both games, you know, and uh, the, I'll just come on and say it. Like, you know, I know it's in the notes, but with the benches clearing and hitting each other and stuff, I, this is going to be, there's already bad blood between the Cubs and the Brewers, but to get off to a start like the second game of the year and you're already coming yeah. at each other. Whew. Okay. Let's talk about the benches clearing stuff, but we're going to come back to some things here because honestly, like Justin Steele deserves a moment in the sun here and we're oh, yeah. going to give it to him at the and end. But Keegan let's, Thompson. Yeah. Keegan Thompson as well, but let's talk about what's going on here. That what the Brewers have done in terms of how they approach Cubs hitters. And I get it. Like Hit Brewer, if there are any Brewers fans listening to this podcast, they're like, it's not intentional. Da, 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 da. I know it's not intentional. What it is, is a strategy that the Brewers have to pitch up and in and inside on the Cubs to get them to keep their eyes there and not look out to their power alleys in the case of Wilson Contreras in particular. And I think a lot of this is about Wilson Contreras because he has been hit 15 times by Brewers pitchers in his in the last three years and and it's absolutely ridiculous it's totally out of control but it's not just that they're hitting him inside they always hit him above the shoulders up and in and there's a big difference between hitting a guy up in the shoulder hitting a guy in the helmet hitting a guy in the upper part of his chest and hitting a guy in his behind or in his lower back or something where it's not going to do nearly as much damage or potentially end a career. And I do not understand why this is a concept that is apparently so hard for Brewers fans to grasp, that there is a difference between getting hit in the thigh and getting hit in the head. But clearly these are very different things. Wilson's over it. The Cubs are over it. The numbers are actually kind of misleading and I want to dive into them because I went and looked like month by month and where these beanball instances have occurred because I did a piece on this a couple years ago actually about the Pirates. The NL Central has a beanbag problem anyway. They tend to like do the whole like beaning thing back and forth between teams and and we'll get into that in a second. But the hurdle. if you don't have the control, if you don't have the control to throw up and in, you don't get that pitch. It's real clear. It's real easy and clear. Don't end a guy's career because you think it is strategic to take away their power alley on the outside corner. Yeah, Clint Hurdle. Exactly, Danny. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and and you're right about that. The Pirates were doing it, and the Brewers have been hitting Wilson for years. And, and, I mean, Keegan Thompson, where he hit McCutcheon was right in the butt or right in the hip there. And that's not going to do it. And he did it on purpose, I think, which, you know, Keegan Thompson probably got mad props back in that dugout when he, he, after that. He absolutely did it on purpose. If you watch the whole sequence, Keegan Thompson, like, so it's a, it's like there's a strike and then Keegan Thompson throws and basically almost goes behind Andrew McCutcheon. Like it's designed yeah. to hit him and he misses. And so Andrew McCutcheon dodges the ball. And then on the next pitch, it's designed to hit him and it hits him in the butt. And it's like, yeah. okay, this is, yes, it's obviously intentional. Like, I know David Ross said it wasn't, but it, thanks, David Ross. Like, it was. Also, props Keegan Thompson. I hope, I, 
I hope you got a round of applause when you entered the clubhouse. I applauded you at our tournament that I was running this weekend. I was like, go Keegan Thompson. That is exactly right. But the part of this that is remarkable and needs to be remembered, the Brewers had hit Wilson twice. Nick Madrigal once, although that was kind of a brush on the jersey numbers types of things. And they had put Ian Happ out of the game by hitting him on the kneecap. And thank yeah. God Ian Happ is okay because Ian Happ looks like he's off to hot Ian Happ start, which is what you always like to see. But hitting a guy on the kneecap is a way that you put a guy out of the lineup for months. Like, this yeah. is – stop it. Like, come on. You all clearly don't have control. Stop throwing inside like that. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not for – people hitting each other. I mean, it happens in baseball. I don't like when it happens on purpose. I know that it's a, it's a message that teams use to, uh, I I guess, intimidate each other, send, send a a strong message that, you know, we're not going to tolerate it. And then you get the retaliatory back and forth, but it's dangerous. It's a really dangerous game to play. And I, I would, would just hate if somebody on either team was knocked out for the, uh, for any amount of time. And it's kind of sad that it was Andrew McCutcheon because I have a lot of respect for that guy and um, he kills us and uh, he's a cub killer. Maybe that's why they chose him, but I know Yelich kind of stinks now, but I kind of wish if you're going to hit somebody, hit him. He's the one that's like (laughs) cheating. No, no. He's the one that's cheating and, you know, yelling about you Darvish couple years ago when you accused him of his eyes moving around and you know so it, there's just there's other brewers I don't like more than Andrew McCutcheon who just got there so he but he was you know he he's not part of this whole beanball thing um but anyway it's I, I don't enjoy it but it, it it's also entertaining to see such fire and passion from the Cubs and you saw Jason Hayward sprinting in uh, protecting his guys, uh, getting right in the middle of it, policing the whole thing, being the veteran. I mean, if that's the kind of team that we're going to have, a tenacious team that's going to win, well, well, a really close game and then lose a, a, a winnable close game on uh, the Sunday game and then it, it, and have a Donnybrook in the middle of a blowout, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the season. If the if this is how the games are gonna go, okay. So. My favorite thing about this uh, benches clearing incident, though, and if you've not watched this tape yet, you need to go follow Tony Andraki on Twitter, and then you need to go find this video he has because he's a video from the press box that is absolutely incredible and perfect. Jason Hayward sprints in from center field like a man on a mission. I have never in my life seen a benches clearing incident where the center fielder is the guy leading the charge when the two teams meet, you know how they like come in and they all come in like West side story. Like, here we go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We should absolutely set these brawls to West side story as a a feature for the future. But like Jason Hayward somehow manages to beat the first baseman, the second baseman, (laughs) the shortstop, the third baseman, the pitcher, like he beats everybody in. And Jason Hayward is like, this is my fight. And I know we've said that, like, Jay, you know, we'll talk about Jason Hayward. He's actually not off to a terrible start this season. But Jason Hayward leading the charge there and, like, I am going to get in front of all of my dudes and I'm going to make this happen was a remarkable thing to see. And I loved everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, that's the veteran leadership that you're going to need. And quite frankly, the only reason that he should even be on this team, 
although, yeah, you're right. Not a bad start. Just got three hits already and a couple walks. So, um, you know, I- I'm all here for the Jason Hayward resurgence party. Let's, yeah, do, let's it. do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's always been that guy, you know, gave the 2016 speech, rallied the team. Uh, he's been out front on, uh, I know a lot of social issues here in Chicago. So he's that kind of dude too. So it's, it's pretty meaningful when, it, when you got, and plus he's big. So I, I know if I was in a fight, I wouldn't, if I'm going to pick guys on the Cubs that I'd want in my corner, I think Jason Hayward would be right on top of the list as far as dudes I'd want, uh, you know, fighting for me, but Oh yeah. It's really cool to see. Number one overall draft pick for, I want that guy to be my bodyguard. Uh, yeah. Let's Him see. and Wilson, but Wilson might kill a guy. Well, so I, I don't want to go down like that. You know, Jason Hayward will just know. intimidate him away. The Brewers need to stop messing around with Wilson Contreras here. They are going to, they, they are going to catch the horns on this one and they're yeah. going to regret it. Um, but let's end this note on a high note. This was a nine Oh beat down of the Milwaukee Brewers team. And, and, and I want to, give a shout out to two young guys who the cup look we have talked about it on this podcast before the cubs young pitchers the guys they are developing through their pitch lab really have exceeded expectations in ways that i was not anticipating even a couple of years ago justin Steele and keegan thompson faced down this brewers team and looked incredible justin Steele uh pitched five shutout innings of baseball he struck out five guys that is outstanding work and then Keegan Thompson came in to piggyback there and before he got tossed from the game for being an awesome teammate and overall (laughs) great dude he threw two and two-thirds innings with four strikeouts and only one walk I love it if Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson can do this yeah we can absolutely have Drew Smiley as our fifth starter (laughs) yeah sure but you know the piggyback thing it, it can it can go badly because if the one guy gets lit up then you got to bring the other guy in earlier and it, you know, it, it's uh, sometimes it doesn't work out as well. I mean, obviously it's not working out as well when your dude gets lit up at all, but it's just like, if that's your plan, you just, you stretch the bullpen like a little bit longer. You know, if you, it's, it's, it's kind of almost like feels like a spring training game where you're supposed to take these three innings and you're supposed to take these three innings and then you give it to the bullpen. But if you can't get that done uh, because they're not that good, but maybe they are. Uh, I think that's what we're hoping here that Justin Steele has really taken that step forward. And that's one of the things we even said we were looking for. I think most fans are looking for some of these young pitchers get who have had a little bit experience of experience at this point, they can take that step forward. And this is what the way Justin Steele is going to pitch his five innings. Then we're in really good shape. And if, if Keegan Thompson can, do this let's say what if Keegan Thompson can pitch 2.2 innings or three innings every couple of days too like what if he right. can piggyback because it's not like Smiley's going to give you a, a complete game either so you might have be doing with the this with a couple dudes on the back end yeah and if you can do that that is remarkable and great um You know, we are actually already up against a commercial break, but there's still another game to talk about. There's a whole series to preview on the flip side. Danny's going to tell us what he saw in South Bend. You do not want to miss any of that. So stick with us through the break. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. And we are back. The thing I took away from the third game, which unfortunately the Cubs dropped five to four, is that this game was winnable. Marcus Stroman looked good. The Cubs had a lead going into bullpen time. And honestly, 
even with the bullpen coughing up the lead a couple of times, they kept fighting their way back. I think they were one replay call going a different way on the field away from maybe coming back again and winning this whole thing. And honestly, that wasn't even a call confirmed. It was a call stand. So like it was a tie at first between the runner and the throw that scored a run with two outs. And you see Mike Napoli in the background and he's like safe as Nico crosses the plate, which is so baller and great. And then the umpire calls the runner out and they didn't have enough evidence to overturn it. And so the Cubs didn't get that run and tie it up again. I think the Cubs were like, you know, one or two plays going a different way from being able to sweep this series, which is nice to see because it makes it, this doesn't look fluky to me. It doesn't look like they played the Brewers hard and, and like, you know, sneaked away with some wins. It looks like this is a team that can play against the Brewers and they did. Yeah, well, the run differential with the nine nothing is it really makes it look um, you know lopsided. But uh, this is the one game that the Cubs struck out a lot more, and uh, they struck out thirteen times as opposed to like I think seven and then eight. So they struck out about as many times on Sunday that they did it in the other two games put together. So the the call on VR was frustrating because. I know that there are some circumstances and I read it in um, Brett Taylor from uh, uh, Bleacher Nation had a little piece about how in very rare circumstances, when you time it exactly right, your leap exactly right. When you're diving into first base, can you get there faster? Very rare circumstances. Mostly it's pretty much proven that it's faster to run through the base. Keep your momentum going. Don't shift it, you know? I think he's safe if he just doesn't dive. And I know it's like this mental thing that these guys have that if I could just like use my Superman ability to dive into the base, it's going to go better, but it usually doesn't. And I wish he didn't. And the other thing is on bang, bang plays like that. Oftentimes the umpire's not seeing what's happening. He's listening for it. Right. You hear the foot and then you hear the glove. Boom. Now, if his foot hits, maybe he's hearing that. So I don't know. It's frustrating. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And he also looked safe on the replay, which I'm like, you got, I mean, we're sitting there looking at it, at it uh, on the left field video board. And we're like, Oh, we, we were convinced there's no way he's out. This is going to get overturned. We're going to score that run and um, tie the game. And I don't know. I, was it not concluded? I didn't see it on TV. It was I just saw it on the video board. Calls can, call confirmed. So the umpires can do three things in those situations. They can say call confirmed, meaning we called it as out on the field. They looked at it in the video board in New York. They said it's also out. So therefore it's call confirmed. They can say call stands, which means that it was called as out on the field. We can't find conclusive evidence to overturn it. So we're going to go, we're going to default to the call that was on the field. And it can be call overturned, meaning it was called as out on the field. We saw conclusive evidence that he was safe. Therefore, we overturn the call. And this was a call stands situation or a call yeah. confirmed situation. Yeah, I know. And, and it's just, it, it's if it had gone the other way, it would have stayed the other way too. Uh, and then he would have been safe in the run score. But it just, that, that was frustrating to me. It's just, I, I mean, Jonathan VR, I was you know, I wasn't really hot on having VR on this team anyway. And then like for it to go that way, I was like, why are you diving into first? Like, I hate when people do that. So he did. And it's just, you know, I'm not going to get sad about it, but Hey, I, I did have fun at this game. We saw Saya's first big fly and that was awesome. Uh, it was right away kind of like 
you're thinking you're establishing something in this game. I, I, I thought we might see another game like the day before where we're just going to run away with one. And um, unfortunately that did not happen. Yeah. Stroh looked, Stroh came as advertised, you know, he gave up a few runs, pitched the contact. Th- uh, I'd like to see the walks come down. Uh, what do you have? Three walks. I'm pulling it up right now, but I think you're right. I, you were literally three like walks, 20 three seconds K's. ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. Three walks, three K's. And like, you know, it was good to see him out there. It's like nice to get that first one kind of out of the way. Um, so it, it's, yeah, I just, yeah, three I just, walks, three it Ks, was winnable. Five innings pitched, uh, only the one run really. So Stroman was only on the hook for that one. And it was a home run. And you know, what are you going to do? If you're going to give up a home run, give up a solo shot. Um, that's fine. I, it, was, I, it was Chavez who just had a really bad time of it out there. Exactly. And, and, so it, that was not good to see. Gives up the three runs on two hits, walked a man. And then um, Daniel Norris, you know, we've got this scrap heap bullpen and we're trying to see what it's going to be. And there's nobody in it that like, there's very few pitchers in this bullpen that I, that I know for a fact will be on the team at the end of the year, whether it be because they were good and got traded <laughs> or because they were terrible and got released and we're, they're just going to go with a different scrap heap guy and see what they could do. But we kind of saw, I mean, this bullpen because of the pitchers going, cause even Marcus Stroman only pitched what 80 pitches, something like that. Yeah. All of so, them were on pitch. You could tell yeah. that all of them were on lower pitch counts. I, it is interesting to imagine, you know, if this game happens in a couple of months, and these guys are stretched out where they can pitch 20 more pitches, 25 more pitches in the case of Kyle Hendricks or even Justin Steele. Uh, you That bullpen gets a lot more interesting because it gets a lot shorter. There are some electric yeah. arms out there. I mean, I thought Michael Givens looked great. He looked oh, yeah. exactly as advertised. That funky arm delivery he has. Very it's cool. real difficult to pick up the ball. It looked like he was having some success against some really good Brewers pitchers. David Robertson looked good, man. I mean, I know he's old and he's had a, some injury issues, and but he locked down that save and it was not super dramatic. And I was very happy about that. I love it when there's a non-dramatic save, not looking for drama in the ninth inning when the Cubs have the lead. Um, so there are some arms out there. That, and like we already said, Keegan Thompson, man, hats off like chef's kiss. That was mm, brilliant. We're so happy for you. But like, I, I think there are some really interesting arms out there, but you're right. These early months are going to kind of weed through who still got it, who can still be effective and who's probably going to get DFA'd or traded or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of <laughs> Ross has a lot of figuring out to do. And, you know, it, he's going to sometimes look like a genius for his move and sometimes look like a, the goat. Um, so I don't know. Well, this is kind of a wait and see bullpen right now. We don't know who we don't have a closer really. I, I guess we kind of do. I guess it's Givens. Uh, or no, I'm not Robertson. or is it Robertson? Think, yeah, I, Robertson well, did know, it. I need to go back and look more closely because be... like I said, I was running an event while these games were going on. So I like had it on, but I couldn't stare at it and analyze it the way I normally do because I'd have to actually like go make a decision, go get a round started, go do things to make this event happen. Um but so I think my read of this right now is that uh, Robertson and Givens are being put into the eighth and ninth inning on sort of a matchup by matchup type of basis where okay. they will be most effective. And I think Rowan Wick is probably in that mix too. And it's sort of like, that's the back end of the bullpen. And those three guys, depending on what part of the order comes up in the seventh, eighth and ninth inning with the Cubs lead are the guys that are going to kind of be there to lock it down. That's the Tapera, Chapin, Kimbrel 
of the 2022 Cubs. And then you've got the middle innings guys where you've got your Daniel Norris's and your Jesse Chavez's and you're sort of trying to figure and your Keegan Thompson's. And it's like, who out of these guys can give us a couple of innings in the event that the starters only gone four or five yeah. to, to push it through to the, that back end. Right. And that's the part that seems murky to me is that middle part, not so much the back end part. Yeah, that's true. And, and that I'm looking up Robertson right now. Um, that was his first save since 2018. Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, and where he only had five saves, the last time he was really used as like the closer w- was really when he was in 2016, uh, or, or I, I would say maybe a little bit in 17 too, but mo- he had 37 saves in 2016 for the White Sox. And then 34, I mean, he was the main closer. He's high of 39 saves. I was all the way back in 2014 with the Yankees. So I guess he's the guy, but, you know, as you said, not rudely, but he's old. (laughs) We'll see if he can can stay out there because that's the thing with Chavez too. It's like, okay, you're playing on MLB borrowed time in a way with some dudes can hang out and some can't, and we'll see. Well, and it's interesting because in a lot of ways, it's not, it is age. Uh, Danny and I have talked before. We, we feel it, you know, a little bit when we have these nights. I'm older than all these guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm older than most of them. Uh, there are a handful that I might still be able to go toe to toe with. But, you know, it's one of these yeah, situations David where, Robertson. <laughs> you know, you like wake up, you wake up in the morning and you sort of feel it. You're like, oh, I was out late last night. And that, that was painful in a way that you didn't when you were 24. Um in, in the case of a closer, you know, it's a one-inning gig. He hasn't thrown a lot of innings in the last couple of years. So you'd think that he, he's, what, 34? You'd think he'd be able 37. to, like, 37. Oh, that's, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> see? Yeah, the difference between 34 and 37 is, is a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, it, it's interesting <laughs> to see how, how that will go. And if he can keep it together for a year, I mean, that's a great bridge to the future. I think that that's something that could be useful. I... My biggest takeaway watching these games, though, Danny, before we move on to what you saw in South Bend and then a preview of the Pirate series, is that nothing I saw looked out of character for the guys who were doing it, and nothing I saw looked unsustainable. Like, obviously, say Suzuki is not going to hit 375, and he's not going to slug 700, but I think that contact approach is going to play. He is going to walk a lot. He has a really good approach at the plate. Ortega looks good. Rivas looks good. Hermosillo looks like a lot of these guys look like the best version of themselves, but not in a way that is super unsustainable, just in a way that is like, yeah, we need all these guys to be good and to play to the best of their ability. And frankly, this could be a really fun team to watch if they keep that up. They've got a bunch of games against the Pirates and the Rockies this month. Get yourself a nice little lead in the division and then see what happens. Yeah. I I mean, and that's, I am totally ready to be disillusionedly optimistic about this baseball team because uh, why not? Why, why not? not? It's a, it's like you look around the Brewers. They don't look that good. They, do, I mean, they look good. They got that top end pitching, but we beat it. So we'll see what happens with it because I don't know how sustainable that is if you think about it. And I, it, the difference is with the Brewers as an organization is they are currently trying to go for it. Right. They, they, you know, they lose their catcher. They go get Victor Caratini. Right. So they're going for it. The Cubs, if they lose something, I don't think they replace it. 
<laughs> you know, is the is the problem with us. Yeah, one so, of the things I saw with this Brewers team, uh, they look like a team. You remember Madden and all of his like shirts and sayings and yada yada. Don't let the pressure exceed the pleasure. Or yep, embrace I know the exactly target where you're and going. all of that stuff. Yep. The Brewers look like a team that could not handle the pressure of the target. They looked like they were missing things that they did well for the last few seasons. And it looked like they being the favorites did not play well for this particular group of guys. Yeah, it never does. And it hasn't for the Cubs for a long time either being the favorites in the division uh, for the last, what, 17, 18, 17 was fine, but like 18, 19, they were still the favorites in the division. Even 2020, I think they were the pretty much close to being the favorites in the division. And that pressure I think was too big for our guys, or they were as I think it was a, Wilson that called people up for just kind of being lazy and and I I think with the Brewers it might be something else in that it's like oh my god we're supposed to win now everybody's looking at us and they can't handle it and I'm fine with it you know let them let them underperform and uh, you let the let the uh, Craig Council magic lineup uh maker situation let let that be a thing of the past and let it just not work this time and I, I'm I'm here for it. I'm here to be, as I said, disillusioned and optimistic about this team, uh, just for fun. Because, well, it's more fun than being disappointed because all the all your favorite players are gone for sure. Well, if if we lost, well, I mean, if we lost two or three, I'd probably feel opposite. If we, if we're the ones that got our butts kicked nine to zero, and then I would I would not maybe feel this way. But I'm just gonna go knee jerk reaction, game by game. Let's just keep winning two or three. Let's go into Pittsburgh and beat them in two games and uh, beat the teams you are supposed to beat that are worse than you, like the Pirates. And let's just, you know, let's just keep keep rolling just game by game. And I think that with all these guys that we have on this team, they're young, they're hungry, they've got something to prove. It could be greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, the I sum think of its so parts too. could be greater than that. You know, I'm, you know, know what I'm trying going. to say. We're, we're, we're hopeful me once shame on me. <laughs> we are, we are unapologetic optimists over here and we're liking yep. what we're seeing for this Cubs team for, for the first team at first time in a while. Uh, Danny, speaking of liking what we're seeing from the Cubs, what's going on in South Bend? Tell us about what you saw down in the minors where our friend Crawley got to throw out a first pitch. Yeah, not only did he get to throw out the first pitch, but there were only about 100 people at that ball game because it was really cold. And um, they have a contest that they do uh, every inning. So they have nine, they're nine giveaways. And our group won three TVs, a gift card. And what? yeah, yeah, it's, it's insane. And we threw out the first pitch and we took home the 50 50 raffle. So. <laughs> So just so you know, if if you got a big group of people, go to an early April game in South Bend, Indiana, and you'll come home with the television. But uh, no, I saw the future down there. It was really cool sitting out there in left field right behind Owen Casey. Or no, right field, right behind Owen Casey. And let me tell you, that that hair flow that he's got, that big old yeah, yeah. red curly, you know, uh, little orphan Annie flow coming out of the back of his uh, his ball cap. He looks great. We were having a lot of fun with him out there. He looks like a real guy, you know, like he's big, he's strong. Eyeball tests. You're going to take it. Canario, another one, exact same report, the great hair and just looks (laughs) like a really, really awesome. Reminded me almost of like, um, and he's young still. So this could, he could get bigger. 
Jorge Soler. Oh, nice. You know. That's a great com. Well, you know, Daddy, I love we are we are the only podcast where you are getting great hair analysis in addition to the <laughs> scouting report. So definitely subscribe if you haven't already. Search for Bleed Cubby Blue wherever you get your podcast so you can get that analysis all season long. But it sounds like I, I agree with you. The the footage that I have seen of Casey and Canaria, like, oh my God. Like I yeah. these guys have it. They have the type of power you want to see. And they're so young. They're going to be up in the majors at some point when they're like 21 years. years old. And it's going to be incredible. Yeah. A couple of years. Uh, we, and uh, it was great to see them. And they looked like the real deal. So you, you go to a lot of minor league. I've been to a few minor league ball games, And it, a lot of times I'm just like, that kid can't even. He's not even old enough to shave yet. And they look like these little guys, uh, depending on the team. And then you see one dude and you're like, who's that? <laughs> and it, you know, and that's kind of what I kept having, which is really a positive thing for the future. So not only uh, uh, those guys uh, with Canario and uh, Casey, but also Ed Howard, I saw as well making slick plays over at uh, I think he was playing short. I'm pretty sure he's playing short. And then um, he looked good. His family was at the ball game. Aww. So they were they were watching him and they, they looked really cold. We all looked really cold, even though they're from Chicago and, and used to it. But also last year's pitcher of the year, DJ Hertz. Was that last year or the year before? It was last year. It was last season. Okay. Minor he, that's not a Cubs thing, it's minor league pitcher of the year. Yeah, minor league pitcher of the year. He looked great. Uh so Max Bain looked like the real deal too, uh, from the pitching side of things. So we're we're just out there kind of seeing the future and it and it, it excited me. I'll I'll admit that they just looked real. And they I've seen minor league games where they don't look real. Right. This was different. They didn't do a lot in the game. Like it was a two to one cold game and uh they won, but uh nothing really happened offensively that I saw from any of those players, but I I could tell they could. <laughs> so I can tell that they had it in them. So it was really great to see. Um, if you don't get a chance, it's a nice stadium. Uh, we had a great time in South Bend. If you've never been, I had never been. Uh, I had a, had a blast uh, playing Garage Arcade Bar. A bunch of Cub fans came out and saw us uh, rocking out with the Bleacher Bum Band. That was fun. And, yeah, and so we just had a blast. It's a We're going to go back in the summer. We're, we're definitely going back. I met the guy from South Bend Cubs who does their Twitter a super nice dude. And, uh, he's like, come back. Uh, we'll do something at the field when it's warmer. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm in. it Let's was do 35 it. degrees. Yeah. We definitely have to go back. We're going to, and it's cheap. The beer's eight bucks for like a big 24 ouncer. We could do that party out there, get ourselves like, uh, our own. Well, I mean, you can get berm seats, just sit in the grass, enjoy a beer, enjoy the sun. I had a great time. Uh, definitely I'm going back. I can't believe I didn't go yet. Yeah, I, I can't wait, Danny. I'm totally in for that. You just let me know the dates and I will Let's mark them on my calendar. Speaking of the Bleacher Bum Band, uh, we we had a great time watching Danny and the Bleacher Bums rock out uh, over at Output? Outpost. Out, Output. Output. Uh, after the opening day, W. And I, I have to tell you, I have a friend of mine in town from Boston. My best friend from Boston has been staying with me for a couple of days, helping me out with the tournament. And he, uh, the debate tournament that I was running. Uh, but he... Uh, was kind of standing there and I forgot how deep Danny is into Cubs lore and Cubs knowledge until my friend who was also a baseball fan, but much more of a Red Sox fan uh, during your Steve Stone song, he looked at something, he's like, who's Steve Stone? And I was like, Oh buddy, how do you not know? And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, I am not a Cubs fan. And I was like, 
Fair enough. But Steve Stone, uh, definitely not really a deep cut for baseball people, but probably you need to know the AL Central or the NL Central. And you got to know Chicago a little bit to know the drama there to really get into that. But he had a blast, thought y'all were super talented. And uh, it was just it was a lot of fun for that opening series at Wrigley. I, I I had a blast. As I said, I'm exhausted right now. I am I am too old to be living like this, but I had a great time and I wouldn't I, I would do it again. I yeah, don't care. Same. I would do it again too. I'm pretty tired today, but I would do it again too. Um all right. Let's take a look ahead at this pirate series. The Cubs are heading to Pittsburgh for two. It looks like uh both of these games look like they are going to happen. The weather report looks okay. Um the report on Wednesday Looks like there might be some thunderstorms in the area, but they appear to be isolated. Could be up to 75 degrees, which looks nice. This first matchup on Tuesday, uh, which has a real weird start time for the Pirates home opener of 3.12 p.m. Central time. (laughs) Saw that. Wild. Um, But so mark your calendar or make an alert now so you don't miss that weird start time. Um, Drew Smiley for the Cubs against old friend Jose Quintana, which... I, for, I literally forgot Jose Quintana was a pirate until I started doing work for this episode. Obviously, neither of these guys has pitched yet in 2022. Danny, what do you expect to see from Smiley and Quintana? Keeping in mind, we have limited information. Uh, yeah, we do have limited information. I mean, I, I like, uh, well, we got a couple lefties going against each other and, uh, Jose Quintana, I ca- I looked up the numbers that the Cubs have against him. The only one, and this is not going to really be too much of a surprise to you that has good numbers against him is freaking Jonathan VR because, <laughs> because he probably did it as a brewer against us. Oh, as, sure, yeah. <laughs> kind of, but, uh, um, you know, Jose Q, I mean, we'll see what he's got left. It, he hasn't been good since he was on the White Sox, unfortunately. And so I think we can get to him. Uh, th- this is a completely different Cubs squad than had played with him. I wonder how much of Wilson Contreras knowing him so well will be a feather in his cap for him yeah. uh, in this series. Because he has really yet to get going and he didn't do much in the first series. Uh so I'd, I'd like to see him get going in this one, uh, especially the righty lefty matchup. Um, we, so I'm, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to see Q back. I would like to beat him up at the, and establish something here. Um, Drew Smiley. I mean, we'll see what he's got. He was, he, he pitched really well with um, Atlanta last year. And I'm, I'm hoping that he kind of continues on that. He had all those injury issues and I know he's still kind of building back up to maybe I don't think he's ever going to be what he was once slated to become, but uh, you know, at the back end of this rotation, if you can get those five innings of a run or two or, or less, then it, it w- that'll be a solid back end piece that they picked up on the cheap. Um, yeah. So interesting that, you know, uh, with Wilson Contreras, and this is not me being like defensive or anything or trying to, to like make a case for him. I, one of the things that jumped out at me when I was looking at early batting numbers for the Cubs is that Wilson's early series kind of looks a little bit like what Yasmani Grandal was doing last year with the White Sox. If you pay attention to White Sox baseball, you know that Yasmani Grandal had one of the weirdest slash lines 
in the majors last year, he was like batting sub 200, but he was getting on base over 400% of the time. And as a result, his WRC plus was actually quite good. Like he was making productive outs and he was getting on base a lot and he was scoring runs, but he wasn't hitting the baseball. Wilson is currently slashing 167, 444, 167. If he were to turn that last slugging number into some power, that's actually not terrible it's weird joey gallo territory and weird yasmani grandal territory but it's productive and you would take it from your catcher i don't think he's going to keep doing that i think that no. the brewers were trying to get into his head they hit him a lot with the baseball and that upset him and we'll see what happens when he gets to pittsburgh we're hope well i don't know man pittsburgh likes to throw at our guys too like there's a whole in 2019 this is a bit of an aside but in 2019 i did a breakdown of how often the NL Central teams hit each other because there really is are more hit batters in the NL Central than any division in baseball, or at least there were in 2019, and nothing I've seen since then leads me to believe that has changed. I'm going to go back and update that in the coming weeks to see if that is still true because early reports make it look like it isn't that <laughs> yeah. true. Well, and I saw there were, they were blaming it on the weather, but I don't know if this was on the East Coast, but uh, if you saw Lindor get hit in the face. Oh, uh, that was awful. What happened yeah. in the Mets National Series that Danny is talking about, uh, Francisco Lindor was hit in the face in game two of their series with the Nationals. But prior to that, in game one, Pete Alonso took a ball off the C-flap. He wears that uh, helmet like Jason Hayward does to protect his face. So he would have been hit in the face had he not been wearing that helmet and, you know, shout out to Buck Showalter. I've never seen a manager out of the dugout faster, ready to protect his guys than Mm -hmm. when Francisco Lindor went down and good on him. Stop throwing baseballs, which are basically rocks, 90 miles per hour at people's faces. Don't do it. And if you think that you don't have the control to do it, go somewhere else that you, that pitch is not for you. You do not get to throw 98 miles an hour at someone's head. Yeah. And I know they're rubbing up the balls and trying to get the right amount of stickiness. So, I mean, it, this could be MLB's fault too. I mean, it may be, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think that the jury's in uh, as to how that's going to go and what the effect of the baseball is going to be because they keep changing the damn ball. <laughs> that's exactly like, right. what are you doing? These guys spend their whole lives using w- one way and then uh, they just switch it up on them. So we'll, it's just something to, to keep an eye on. If there's a lot of hit by pitches this year, more than before, I think we can maybe blame the baseball. I, I thought that last year with the changing baseball. And I think it's yeah. true again this year. I think you're absolutely right. Another X factor here that uh, we haven't talked about a ton on this show. I've heard it talked about a lot on the fantasy podcasts I listen to and that I, I've been on. Um, the There is a humidor in all 30 parts for the first time. Wow, and yeah. the idea is to keep the baseball as consistent as possible, that like you can, in a, in a humid place, you can take moisture out of the ball. In a less humid place, you can add moisture to the ball just to try to create a baseline where the baseball will p- perform sim- more similarly as much as possible. And that'll be really interesting to track. But it also means that pitches are going to behave a little bit differently. Uh, and hopefully that consistency as, as pitchers get used to it over the course of the year will lead to fewer hits, hit batsmen and a more standard deviation on things like home runs. But one of the things that I know uh, Rob Arthur over at Baseball Prospectus has looked at in the last couple of years is that there was a hit by pitch spike in addition to the home run spike that sort of correlated with all the ball shenanigans that our friend, friend of the show, Dr. Meredith Wills 
has been investigating since at least 2015. So mm -hmm. the ever-changing baseball is, is having a lot of unintended consequences more than just home runs. Uh, let's yeah. talk about the second matchup in game two of the short series in Pittsburgh. Kyle Hendricks will get his second start against the Pirates team that looks pretty weak. So we'll see if he Kyle Hendricks can do what he did against the Brewers one more time in Pittsburgh. I um, mean, he'll be going up against JT Brubaker. I mean, I'm putting Hendricks in every fantasy lineup I've got. I think what I saw from him on opening day leads me to believe that Kyle is Kyle and I'm ready. I'm not scared of him facing a Pirates team. Yeah, I mean, we should go in there and, and beat him up. We should beat up this Pirates team twice in a row and ruin their home opener, and I'm I'm here for it. Uh, once again, the only person, I looked it up earlier today, the only person with a home run against JT Brubaker out of uh, 54 plate appearances is Jonathan VR. So look for, <laughs> look for Jonathan VR to get a few starts here and really just tear this pirates uh, pitching staff to shreds. Cause I guess he's, he, he loves it and he's just gonna, he's just gonna tear him up. I mean, hopefully it's pretty early to do our, like who's hot hitter hitting on either team type of look, but let's just do it because it's fun. Uh, the pirates did not call up shortstop rookie sensation O'Neill Cruz, who is obviously ready to mash baseballs right now, but he'll be in triple a, at least as of the time of this recording, Danny and I are recording uh, right now. It's about noon on Monday on the off day in Chicago. So if O'Neill Cruz were to get the call up, I would be pretty stunned. I think the Pirates are going to leave him down just long enough to keep him from getting the rookie of the year and just long enough to keep from starting his clock so that they can hold on to player control there as long as possible. So I don't anticipate Cruz coming up. However, they did call up a rookie I think is pretty interesting. Diego Castillo is a second baseman. Um, he's got some thump and he's got some speed down in the minors. And I, I'm curious to see what he can do. Other Pirates who had a nice opening day series, their first three games were against the uh, Cardinals and St. Louis took two out of three in that series. Michael Chavez had a real nice series. He hit 500, slugged 1.167. 1, so obviously that is not sustainable, but it'll be interesting to see what Michael Chavez can do. Cabrian Hayes, who had a real nice... Um, short season uh, in 2020, but then sort of fell off last year due to some injuries. It'll be interesting to see if he's back. He signed an extension with the Padres and his WRC plus for those first three games was 191. And then the aforementioned Diego Castillo, who played in two out of three of those games in the home opening set had a WRC plus of 203. I'm keeping my eye on those three pirates. Yeah. Cool. Key Brian Hayes already has two home runs in his short, short, short career against Kyle Hendricks. So <laughs> that's something to watch out for too. Indeed. On the Cubs side, guys who are hitting hot, there's quite a few of them actually. Ian Happ is off to a, whoa, that's MVP Ian Happ start. He's hitting, he's slashing 714, 778, 1000 prior hmm. to the Brewers knocking him out by hitting him with a pitch on the knee. Let's hope that that doesn't get into his head in any way, shape or form. And Ian Happ just comes out and continues to rake. Seiya Suzuki, who we already talked about is, uh, has WRC plus of 253, which is always nice to see. And then um, Jason Hayward, who, you know, we have, we have gone off on Jason Hayward a few times on this podcast. I, I just gave him a bunch of credit for being a team leader in the first half, but I want to give him credit for hitting the cover off the ball in that early series, Jason Hayward slashed 375, 500, 375 against the Brewers. And look, that's not the power number you want from him, but this is not a Cubs team built on power. They're, they're built on getting on base and moving guys over and 
scoring some runs. And Jason Hayward did that as well as anybody in that early series. Who else do you think uh, you're keeping an eye on, Danny, in this opening set? As I said, like I, I'm really hoping that Wilson can turn it on in Pittsburgh, and that's that, that's kind of what I'm I'm looking for. That he's got the fire in the belly. Let's see it in the bat. Yeah, if Wilson Contreras gets it together and turns on the fire in the bat in Pittsburgh, you will hear about it here first on Cuppa Cubby Blue. Until then, Danny, where can people find you and your baseball takes about the first place Chicago Cubs? Well, uh, you can find me on the Sun Ranto Show, which you can watch on Twitter at Sunranto. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. There's a YouTube, uh, you know, just Google it. S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. You'll find me. I think I'm the only one. Awesome. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can follow the podcast and all of the resources that we're talking about on at Cup of Cubby Blue. You can find my writing at Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can subscribe to every episode of Cup of Cubby Blue this season by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue wherever you get your podcast. You will not want to miss anything that happens during the 2022 season. And we will make sure that you don't until next time, which will be after the pirate series before the Cubs head to Colorado, where they will meet up with old friend, Chris Bryant. Uh, We will see you on the socials. Bye.